Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of May 6, 2021, including Epic Games and Apple are fighting in court and we're learning a lot from it. IO Interactive could be working on an Xbox exclusive. It's Xbox On's 100th episode and more. Perhaps the only thing as disappointing as the world having to bear witness to 100 episodes of Xbox On would be the fact that here we are at episode 100 of the show and I've planned absolutely nothing special. You know, I thought all last week like, oh man, you know what, I'll I'll pick a special song to do for the intro, something that we've never done before, that'll be nice, and we'll have a little anniversary segment, and we'll talk about this, we'll talk about that, maybe I'll... You know, in a couple weeks in advance, I should inquire about some special topic we can do for the 100th episode. Nothing. I did nothing. Here we are. It's episode 100. It's just another week, guys. So, sorry if you were expecting something fun. Maybe that's maybe that's me who is putting the expectation on this episode for no reason. I don't know. Like, literally every podcast you listen to does something special for episode 100. I, I don't... I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I don't know if a single one of those shows that's made it to episode 100 has not done something special, you know, for 100. So, whatever. We're we're all about breaking the mold here at Xbox On. For episode 100, we're going to break the mold by not even acknowledging this milestone. So, how do you like that? But no, with that said, welcome to Xbox On. It's our weekly Xbox podcast. I, I would like to say, before we jump into our regular corrections, comments, things of note before we jump into the show, we did have a couple, and I literally mean like, like two people, write in with a little something to say about hitting that 100th episode milestone. And so first of all, a little, little, a little comment here from Mojo says, happy 100th episode. Thank you, Mojo. And then our second one here comes from none other than the one and only, the one who has the power to to give us to give us a platform as well as de-platform us, Mr. Sarugi. Uh, says, congrats on your 100th episode, mate. Here's to 100 more. Ugh. Not to steal your limelight, but my wife just gave birth to a beautiful baby girl, Willow. I'm sure there's something to be said for a, a Bubba born on the same day as your 100th, mate. Well, Sarugi, first of all, very special congratulations to you and your family on the uh, birth of your daughter. That's really, really special, and I'm really, really happy for you guys. I hope she is uh, healthy, and I hope she brings nothing but happiness and joy to you and your family. I, I don't know if you're already a parent or if this is your first child, but welcome to parenthood, uh, whether it be for the first time or, or a subsequent time but but seriously congratulations to you and your family that that is really really special news and i'm i'm unfortunately sorry to relay to you that um you know your your daughter's birth and the 100th episode of xbox on coinciding has more than likely cursed your kid's birthday so i do apologize for that but nonetheless very very special congrats to you and your family now with that out of the way guys this is an xbox podcast okay you know what xbox does it plays games really, really well because it's really powerful and Xbox is all about backwards compatibility and bringing previous games forward and respecting your previous purchases and the Xbox history, the Xbox catalog. And so that's one thing Xbox is really good at doing. One thing Xbox is really bad at doing, however, is uh, is waiting around for us to talk about this podcast 100th episode and piddle around about, you know, 
oh, oh, I remember back in the early summer 2019 days when this, oh, when this podcast was just a tiny, tiny baby. No, Xbox doesn't have time for that shit. In fact, this is kind of a busy news week. This is the busiest news week we've had in, in quite some time. So we're not going to stall as much as we normally do. We're actually going to move at a brisk pace because Xbox don't wait for no podcast milestone, okay? So with that out of the way, we'll jump into our corrections, our things I want to address, things from last episode we need to drudge up for one more quick note, things of that nature. So hopefully for the last time, I'm going to pull up the Game Pass profitability argument. If you're tired of hearing this, just fast forward like two minutes. It's going to be maybe not even two weeks super fast. But my brother writes in and says, Game Pass isn't making anything yet. Right now, Xbox is in limbo. They bought 20-ish studios, and so far they aren't making money either eventually they'll all release games and they'll be on game pass and we'll have all of those then game pass won't need to grab new third-party releases all the time and they can just make some money so yeah not making anything yet but it will eventually and then count skyla chimes in and says yeah microsoft is going to grind this out and make stupid and make it stupid to not sign up until they sail over the profitability line they want hundreds of millions of subscribers which sounds dumb now but 10 years from now it would be shocking if they didn't Granted, they keep pushing the service like they are now, but granted, if they keep pushing the service like they are now, so yes, both of these comments are two things I I, I think I'm pretty pretty fully uh, agree with, although I will say to my brother's point, I don't think the plan, not to say that this is exactly what you're saying, but I don't think the plan is to completely abandon third-party content on Game Pass once they have their own steady stream, but I think you're right that it is their hope is to go a little more like Netflix's approach, which is in the early days, Netflix was very heavily reliant on, you know, getting this TV show and this movie onto Netflix. Whereas you look at Netflix now and Netflix's Netflix's bread and butter is their original content. And I think there is a, a correlation to be drawn there where I'm sure Microsoft's intention is, you know, with all these studios to get to a point where they have a rhythm, a release schedule rhythm where they're always putting out original content from their studios. So they're not constantly having to buy up you know, timed exclusivity or rights or whatever to get Square Enix's game or EA's game or Ubisoft's game onto Game Pass because they have enough studios and they have enough of a a release schedule that they can kind of support their own service to the best of their ability. Uh, You know, I'm sure those third parties will still be there, but they'll take something of a backseat. I I do agree with both of those points, but I just want to bring that up because, listen, I'm, I'm pretty firmly in the camp that no... Game Pass is just not profitable. I think so many people are just really oversimplifying this. The amount of money, the amount of revenue they bring in from subscriptions doesn't outweigh the costs of operating this subscription. And I just, I refuse to believe otherwise. Is it sustainable? Probably. Is it, will it be profitable in the future? Probably. Is it profitable today? I don't fucking believe that for a second. I I think there are a lot of really smart people in this industry who are just simply wrong about this one. But with that said, we'll drop it. I had the last word, so fuck you. I win. Bye-bye. Now, one last thing to jump into before we get into comments. Um, earlier this week, gamesindustry.biz, a site I've been quoting a lot more, citing a lot more recently, as I really like these guys, um, they had an interview with Sarah Bond, the head of Microsoft's uh, gaming ecosystem organization, whatever, and... Um, you know, Sarah Bond's been getting a lot more notoriety in the Xbox community as of late. She's been kind of coming up in the world as one of the Xbox like personality figureheads of you know the likes of like Aaron Greenberg and uh, and Matt Booty and things like that, people like that. So uh, she had an interview with GamesIndustry.biz about 
what they the headline calls it democratizing game development and how it's important for our society and it's a pretty interesting interview i, I don't really want to it, it doesn't really make sense to like read it on the on here and then discuss it to no one like so i just wanted to put it out there it's an interesting read it's something you should definitely seek out if, if you want to know more about this um and she definitely talks a lot about how xbox is still kind of always open-minded to this idea of getting Xbox in other places and playing nice with even the most like, you know, like um, historyed rivals, the likes of like Nintendo and stuff like that. So I think it's a pretty interesting interview. Um, you might want to check that out. But with that all out of the way, let's jump into our regular run of the show, starting with the comments. Guys, I had I had someone reach out to me on Instagram earlier this week and say, hey, Jesse, uh, I don't know if maybe this was a spam account or maybe some guy trolling me, but maybe it was genuine. And they were like, hey, Jesse, like the, I, I, I listen to the podcast. How can I comment? And I was like, well, here's a link to my YouTube page. You go on YouTube.com. You go to Second Best Gaming. You avoid all those weird Cars 3 and Marvel Lego game and Disneyland Adventures for Connect playthroughs. Ignore all of that. Click on the Xbox On podcast playlist where you'll see the show. Click on the latest episode. Leave a comment. Say something really nice like, Jesse, uh, I like the way your beard looks despite the fact that you trimmed it a little more than you had originally anticipated four days ago. Thanks. Nice comment. Or you can say something really mean like, Jesse... Why do you keep tweeting about DSA? It's an atrocity. Mixing three flavors of Mountain Dew does not instantly make does not instantly make a better Mountain Dew flavor. It's just disgusting, and you're a twelve year old for liking it. Kind of a harsh comment. Either way, I'll read it on the show. So go ahead, drop a comment, and we'll talk about it next week. But for this week, we'll jump in first with a comment from, you know, I, I figure hundredth episode of the podcast. Let's start off with a comment from our original commenter, our original supporter of the show, Mister Dead Captain James, who says. I finally ate a chicken chalupa for the first time last week. It was really good. Damn it, Jesse, you're trying to make me rotund. Dead Captain James, first of all, congratulations on your first chicken chalupa. Of course, that is the famed greatest Taco Bell menu item of all time. Chicken chalupa supreme from the Taco Bell menu. Excellent, excellent choice. I'm glad you liked it. Uh, but I've got to say, to to your point that I'm out here trying to make everyone rotund, I think, I think Dead Captain James is catching on to a little something that many of you haven't been quick enough to call me out on and that's that why does it make sense for me to go out of my way to work really hard and calorie count and exercise and do the right thing and try to lose 15 or 20 pounds to get a little more in shape when I could just sit here on my bed microphone in hand blabbering about Xbox telling you to get fat telling you about the Taco Bell menu items you about the Disney pizza the Rainforest Cafe all the places that are going to love you in your heart and your tummy and help you get to a more appropriate weight that kind of brings everyone down to my level. So I don't I don't really want to go through the legwork of getting in shape or, you know, being physically active or being healthy. I'd rather bring you guys down to my level. And Dead Captain James, I'm sorry if you're just now realizing that, but I'm mostly glad to learn that you are a, a another fan of the Chicken Chalupa Supreme. Only available at Taco Bell. Sam Torres jumps in here and says, Jesse finally got one, actually two, of the RC Hot Wheels. Whoa, they do not disappoint. I got the Nissan Sports Coupe and the red Dodge muscle car. They were half off at, at the wholesales club. Now time to hunt down some decent track layouts for getting crafty. Those cars can do some amazing spins. Sam Torres, 99% of the people listening to the show right now are not going to know what the fuck you're talking about, but I love that you wrote in about this. These are... Little new Hot Wheels toys, they come with these little Xbox-looking game controllers, and the Hot Wheels are RC cars, and they're awesome. They have a Nissan GTR one, they have a Tesla Cybertruck one, 
They have a Dodge Challenger one. They've got a couple of them. Actually, that's a Hot Wheels original designed after the Dodge Charger Challenger. It's called Roger Dodger. But of course, us real Hot Wheels OGs know that. In fact, I'm wearing a Hot Wheels shirt right now as I record. How how ironic, how coincidental is that? Anyway, Sam, here's what you do. Go to the Target, go to Walmart, go to Amazon, buy like the most whatever generic $20, 20 to $30 Hot Wheels set whatever it is, just something that has curved pieces and a couple, like a loop or just some interesting odds and ends here and there. Use that as like your foundational set so that you can have twists and turns in your track, but then go to Walmart or Target. You see these all the time. They sell for $2, $2, these packs of just straight line track piece. They are $2. It comes with four, like four, like one foot track pieces. So for two bucks, you can just extend your track by another four feet and you just keep building off whatever that $20, $30 place that you got was with just adding more additional, additional length, 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 length. And this is at least what we do is we take, we have maybe like, like six feet of length and then just a couple curve pieces to make a massive oval that just basically blocks the entire living room uh, in our small apartment. And then we put the RC Hot Wheel on the track and it has a boost button, which I'm sure you know, and you just boost the fuck out of that little Nissan around the track, and you do those three-second laps, and I don't know if you have a cat, but I know you do have children, so similar concept. Watch those little fuckers go crazy. They love that shit, man, so really fun way to play with your Hot Wheels. I find it is infinitely more satisfying to have a controller in your hand and control the Hot Wheel going around the track that way than it is to have an automated like booster on the track that you just put the Hot Wheel down and watch it do its thing. Obviously, it's more interactive, so of course it's more fun, but it, it really does revolutionize the way you interact with Hot Wheels. And Sam, I'm so very grateful to see that you are uh, enjoying the RC Hot Wheels Club. After all, are you really an Xbox fan if you don't own a couple Hot Wheels? I'm just saying. Now, on the topic of xCloud, Joe Murphy says... Got my xCloud PC invite, so I've been streaming games on my Surface Pro 7. God damn, you guys are awesome. Buying Surface Pros, buying Hot Wheels. Not only are you good consumers, but you're buying, you're consuming the right products. You're, listen, Xbox, Microsoft, Mountain Dew, Taco Bell, you guys are good people, okay? If we keep this up, pretty sure we might be able to put all those evil corporations like, like Apple and Del Taco and, and, uh, and Matchbox out of business, although the joke there is I is Mattel owns Hot Wheels and Matchbox, so that, that doesn't make sense. But anyway, I've been streaming games on my Surface Pro 7. So far, all the games have been playing good with my controller. Don't care about iPhone X cloud streaming because Apple sucks ass. Android devices rule ellipses. Well, that's not very nice. There are plenty of people listening to this show that have iPhones, and I don't think they appreciate you telling, telling them that Apple sucks ass. Unless, of course, all those iPhone users listening to the show would like to have their asses sucked. And what you're insinuating here is because they own an iPhone, Tim Cook or some other Apple executive, I don't know, might come over to their place and suck their ass. So that's pretty nice. Nothing wrong with that. If everyone's consenting, uh, who am I to judge? But anyway, glad to hear it. Honestly, the the one time I, I played, um, I tried uh, xCloud on my Surface Pro. I mean, obviously, it's really based on your internet. And my internet is good, not great. Yeah, I had a little bit of a, a laggy experience playing some Halo 3, but I thought overall for a very early kind of like beta build, it was it was pretty solid for what it was. But glad to hear you had a pretty seamless experience with it. The technology is cool. It is it is definitely cool. And, I, and I'll agree. I don't know if this is where you were getting at with it, Joe, but I agree. It is much more compelling to be like, hey, here's my Surface or my iPad or whatever kind of tablet device with a larger screen you have. 
and then just connect an uh, Xbox controller to it and play xCloud that way. That's a much more compelling experience, in my opinion, than connecting a controller to your phone and playing that way. Because the, the, the one use case that I think of the most, which is so funny because I never fly and I never go anywhere and I don't travel for shit. Um, but the, the use case I think of the most is how cool would it be to just like whip out an, a, a Surface Pro, which has a built-in kickstand, you know, and you're on a flight, you pop out that kickstand, you got your Surface Pro sitting on your little table in front of you, your little your little laptop table on the airplane, you whip out your Xbox controller and boom, the whole flight, you got Xbox. That's awesome. Or like you're traveling, you go to a hotel room and you don't want to bring your Xbox and hook it up to the hotel TV. That's kind of cumbersome and stupid, but boom, you, 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 you pull out your Surface Pro, pull out the kickstand, put it on a table or the desk or whatever. You got your Xbox controller and boom, you got Xbox everywhere you go. That's a very enticing way to play Xbox on the go, in my opinion. You know, much more compelling than your phone, which is a tiny screen. You're running down your phone's battery when you kind of need it because you're traveling. Uh, you know, it's just a much more, it's a much better like facsimile of like the the couch console setup than than playing on your phone is because that's a lot more akin to like a nintendo ds or something i, I don't know I'm a, I'm a huge fan of it joe so pro- there you go count skyla on the topic of xcloud says i did get my xcloud invite last week and while the setup for ios is great the performance is iffy so that's a lot more with what's in li- what i've been experiencing uh, uh i just liked i just love to tinker on my mac i thought chrome I thought it ran on Chrome pretty well. I could definitely see myself playing when I travel. The Series X and S controller seems way more responsible than the seems way more responsive than the last gen controller with XCloud. Not sure if that's a real thing or not, but I'm just curious if anyone else has noticed that. Well, Count Scottula, I only tried it with a Series X controller. I haven't tried it with an Xbox One controller, so I can't speak to that. But I am also interested, just based on this uh, synopsis, you know. If anyone else has tried multiple controllers and they've had any success or 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 seen any notice any difference between trying a newer controller versus an older controller, but that that would be a curious thing to see. Uh, I will say, like 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 I mentioned, I was having a little bit of iffy performance on my Surface Pro. I was using a Series X controller, but again, I think that it has more to do with my internet than anything. Uh, but interesting nonetheless. Now, Count Skyler, I must note here that you. You mentioned both your iPhone and your MacBook, so or your Mac and your iOS device, so whatever. So I don't know if you're talking iPhones, app, uh, iPhones, iPads, MacBooks, iMacs, whatever you're talking about here, it's all Apple. And according to Joe Murphy, Apple can suck ass. Apple sucks ass. So let me know, Count Skyla, has Apple ever come over to your home? Has it, have they ever invaded your personal space and attempted to suck your ass? I'd be curious to know. Mr. Miggy also wants to let you know a little something about uh, xCloud. Mr. Miggy says, at this point, we should just be happy how competitive Microsoft is being with Xbox, especially since they know Stadia and Amazon Luna will eventually become a threat, both of which so far have done better cloud gaming experiences compared to xCloud. I, I haven't tried either of those other two, so I can't speak to that, but I assume you've tried all three, Mr. Miggy. Also, good for you for taking those classes. I've been thinking of doing something similar. Issue is budget, though. If you ever get HBO Max again, I recommend DC shows like Titans. All right, Mr. Miggy, a lot to unpack there. So, I, I like I said, I haven't tried the other streaming services. I, I can very confidently tell you, Google Stadia is dead, okay? Everyone who's had any, like, major hand in that project has already left, basically, at this point. And Google has already done the thing that they do best, which is, like, put something out there, don't really support it, don't really market it well, kind of give up on it easily, don't really get the right hands on to figure out how they can make this thing successful, and they're just kind of letting it die. So 
Google Stadia, regardless of how well it does or doesn't work, I think is already pretty much dead. So I'm I'm personally not worried about Google Stadia at all. I don't think that's a threat whatsoever. Amazon Luna, I can't speak to. I know that's only more recently come out, and I don't know you know how well it performs or not. My understanding was always that xCloud actually works very well, even compared to the others. So I'm I'm interested to hear you say. I'm interested to learn that you you think that xCloud isn't doesn't work as well so i'd be interested to learn more about that and hear other people's perspectives on that but yeah no it is awesome to see xbox really double down on it and really focus on it i think just through sheer fact that xbox already has a little bit of an easier starting point by having xcloud be part of a pre-established gaming brand like xbox gives them a lot more of an easier leeway into this market um, than what google and amazon have because especially a company like amazon they're uh, they're so well known for jumping into so many products that kind of don't pan out or or just still leave people going like oh yeah Amazon Prime they ship shit to your house you know it's like there's Amazon Music there's Amazon Video there's Amazon Alexa and all this shit and all those things have varying degrees of successes and failures but I feel like at the end of the day everyone's just like Amazon equals Jeff Bezos being rich plus toothpaste getting into my house in 12 hours or less. Like that's everyone's perception of Amazon. So it's a little harder for them to get into these kinds of markets. Although of course, you know, their cloud services are pretty big deal. Google on the other hand, I mean, obviously they have a a large handful of failures as well, but I feel like Google has more successes than Amazon with getting into like different hardware spaces and things like that. So maybe not as much for them, but we know Google is going to give up anyway, because that's what they do best. But yeah, I'm not sure what else to say on that. Now, as listen, man, as for the the, the little note about classes, I appreciate you you thanking me for that, or I appreciate you commending on that. But listen, man, if there's anything you're interested in learning, I cannot stress enough to you how important it is you know, and I'm not trying to get all like self-help here, but I, I got to be honest for a second, Mr. Miggy. I don't care if this bores people and they want to click off. I'll, I'll take 30 seconds of the show to say this real fast. I graduated college two years ago. And one of the things I've instantly, you know, I think college was a massive waste of my time and money. And I mostly just did college because that social pressure to do college in order to feel like a not sack of shit in society. It was a massive waste of time. I did way more to put my conscience to rest and to make myself feel more like I matter than it was, you know, something that's actually going to benefit me in, in life. You know, I work a job I very much don't love and it's the direct result of my college degree and it hasn't made me happy. So I'm not here advocating for college at all, but I, what I am advocating for is continuing your education. The only thing I don't regret about college is I love to learn. And in college, I studied something I love over something I thought would yield specific job results. So I studied English because I love literature, I love writing, I love reading, and I don't regret school in that regard. I loved my lectures, I had great professors, I loved a lot of the content we read and discussed, and that was great. But college is a massive waste of time otherwise, I don't know why I'm getting so into that. The thing is, the only thing I really, really miss about college now that I'm two years out from it is that kind of grind of like feeling stressed about a test, feeling stressed about a paper, feeling stressed about a grade, because these kinds of things give you that that grind. They, they give you that motivation to like study and read and learn and challenge yourself. And then at the end of the day, you walk, you, you look back, and you're like, I know a whole slew of new, you know, a whole new chunk of information. Whereas, you know, these past two years, I've just been working my day job, eating Disney pizza on the weekend, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. And it's been fun and I like it. Adulthood's been cool, but... I miss learning. I miss feeling like I'm learning new things. I miss feeling like that that like third pillar of life, which is like that challenge to constantly push your knowledge further. And to me, the most fulfilling part about 
doing this IT class lately has been more than anything, just, just getting that feeling back of like, I'm pushing myself to learn new things again. And so I don't think you should let money become a factor in this because there are so many affordable ways to do this and there are so many free ways to do this, but you really should take the time. And, you know, I don't know, Mr. Miggy, your age, your school status, any of those kinds of things. For all I know, you're an 85 year old man who's, who's got 12 bachelor degrees, uh, but never pursued a master's degree because you want to be a bachelor. You don't want to be a master. I don't fucking know your situation. But what I, what I do want to say is if you can find the time in your life to continue to push yourself to learn more and educate yourself, I think that alone is worth it. You know, whether or not this IT knowledge I'm gaining right now leads to a better career path for me or not, actually, I, I want that to come second to the fact that I'm learning new things and that is making me happier. It's making me feel better and, and just, you know, like, that's, that's a really satisfying thing. It's, it's not even necessarily to be like, this is what I do with my knowledge, but just to be like, I'm learning stuff. I think about things differently. I understand the world differently. You know, that's what people are. They're just giant computers that overthink about things and try to analyze everything and make sense of everything around them. And the more you challenge yourself and the more you try to learn, the more you can just constantly, you know, twist your brain like a Rubik's cube and just figure it out differently. And I think that's really, really important that you pursue that. So don't let money get in the way. I know it's so easy for me to say when, you know, I am a <laughs> I am a childless guy working a nine to five job who can easily support himself. But don't let money be the reason why you don't pursue new knowledge. You know, whatever it is, there's always something to be gained and learned from learning something from from pursuing something new in the education field. So don't don't let money for taking an exam or getting into a class be the detractor. I use Udemy, which is a website that just has shit tons of classes. Anything you want to learn how to bake the best cake in the world. You want to learn how to code. You want to learn how to work on a car, whatever it is you want to do, go to Udemy. You can learn anything you want and you can find classes as cheap as $10 for a class. You can find classes as expensive as $500 for a class, whatever your price range is. You can learn really cool shit for any, any amount of money. And then also aside from that, there's the fucking internet. You know, you can learn anything for free on the internet, YouTube, Google, let it take you where it may. Um, I, I really encourage you to do that as, and then as for your, now I'm going to get off my high horse as for your recommendation about HBO max, Mr. Mickey, don't ever try to recommend to me another DC show. I'm not going to watch Titans. Okay. I'm simply not going to watch it. Listen, I've been trying to watch Mandalorian for two years now. I watch 30 minutes every couple months. I'll go back. I watch 30 minutes. I give up because the show's really pretty to look at and really boring to watch. And then I move on with my life. What makes you think I'm going to go watch Titans? Huh? Thank you for the recommendation, Mr. Miggy. You're loved and, w and welcome to the 100th episode. Joe Murphy, didn't we already see you? Jumping back in here to talk about xCloud. Xbox Game Pass and xCloud are great. So I started playing on xCloud on my phone and sometimes hooking up HDMI cables from my phone to my TV. I really enjoy playing a lot of games that way. I did this before I ever owned an Xbox console. And last November, I was able to get my Xbox Series X. I still stream on my cell phone with xCloud, however. Now on my console, I have downloaded over 100 games. And out of them... I've bought 71, either, either the ones I play on Game Pass or just on other Xboxes or other Xbox games that are not on Game Pass, but I used a discount to purchase uh, from having Game Pass Ultimate. I don't care if the Game Pass, I don't care if Game Pass is profitable for Xbox. I love the value of that service. Let me stop there. Pause real quick because this is a this is a long comment. I, I cut some of it out. I think that's the that that should be the thesis of co the consumer perception of of Game Pass, right? Is that last part you say there? I don't care if Game Pass is profitable for Microsoft. I love the value of the service. That's all that matters, right? Obviously, there there are consequences of that, but there are consequences to that. Like Microsoft just can't endlessly give and not take anything. That's not how that's not how content works. It's not how business works. But 
I think, at least for the time being, if we can just be heathens and enjoy what feels good and live in this moment, I think that's really what matters, right? It's like, who gives a shit? Let Microsoft deal with money and all those things. We're just here to enjoy Game Pass because it's a great service and and enjoy the overwhelming amount of value it offers. Even if it, you know, even, let's say Game Pass ends up being like the next Windows phone and it blows up and it goes away and we miss it. And then in 20 years, Apple tries to do Game Pass and everyone gives them credit for inventing it. And then we never hear about it again from Microsoft. Who knows? But for today, let's enjoy Game Pass. Now, let's wrap up your long comment here where you say, Taco Bell story. The family and I wanted... The family and I wanted Taco Bell, so on the way home from work, I stopped at Taco Bell and got a three-slash-ten-pack. Oh, I see. You got a ten-pack with three items being bean burritos, two items uh, being half-soft-shell—wait, half-and-half-soft-and-hard-shell half tacos, plus ten chicken chalupas and myself a Mountain Dew. I don't really know how that math works out, but you got chicken chalupas and a Mountain Dew, so you're good in my book. You said, got to the window, and they were asking me where the party was at. I said, it's our family dinner tonight, with a big smile. God damn, you're my hero, Joe. That's a that's a that's a heartwarming con- comment. I'm glad you're enjoying Game Pass. I'm glad you're drinking Mountain Dew. I'm glad you're in, eating chicken chalupas, and I'm glad you're giving us food for thought, both literally and figuratively. Now, games of our youth. Let's jump into this little topic from last week. I asked you. Now, I think it was Joe or Sam. Or I'm sorry, I don't remember who. But last week, one of you guys asked about games of our our youth. I believe it was Sam, but don't quote me on that. But nonetheless, you guys came back and, and gave me some answers. I, I flipped the script. I said, "What are some games that really raised you?" And Strictly Gaming wants to let us know. He says, or they say. I'm a 90s baby, so games I play mostly were Pokemon games on original Game Boy, on my black and white Game Boy, until about 1998 when we got a PlayStation 1, and I was mostly, and it was mostly FIFA and Spyro for me from then on. Keep up the good work. Strong arm emoji. Love it. Strictly Gaming. Spyro's a great game. That's all I gotta say about that. Sam Torres writes in and says, such a week. Don't feel obligated to read the whole thing for the show. I have comments. Uh, yeah, Sam, this is a long comment, so I did scratch out a little bit of the end part, so we'll just read the first half. But you say, yes, I have to comment on games of your youth, 3D platformers, lethal migraines, incarceration, and turning my kids onto Sonic and the Secret Rings. Dude, with a headline like that, how could you not read this comment? You say, through the lens of what gaming was like when I was a kid, trackball sport games were kind of a big deal in the arcades, and variants of Pong were what we played at home. Luckily, things moved quickly, and the Atari and television brought in more originality into gaming. 3D platform games are such as a such a departure from the original side-scroll games of 16-bit era. I think PS1 developers made dozens of 3D platformers. Lethal Migraine is probably enduring Spy Kids Game Boy Advance and Pound Puppy games. They don't take Insomniac slandering lightly in prison. That's true, they sure as hell don't. Uh, I'm sure he's having to use a Mad Cat's PS2 controller to play Groove to play Grover's Magical Street School. Is that some kind of Sesame Street thing? Uh, the the game I saw kid I the game I saw my kids really get into back in the Wii was back in the Wii era was Sonic sorry back in the Wii era was Sonic and the Secret Rings. They would really get into these party games. The main game is kind of actual is is kind of fun, but the motion controls are somewhat a, somewhat a bit ass. And since you mentioned Game Pass. Why not say you're probably right? Now, you continue on with the Game Pass thing, but I wanted to cut it out there because I think your first comment about Game Pass was pretty pretty, uh, pretty nice. You said, let's just leave it at you're probably right. And I, Thanks, Sam. 
Now, I want to comment on this because, of course, as we all know, Lethal Migraine is is in prison right now for his slanderous comments on Insomniac Games last week. So he is probably, you're right, probably left to play uh, Sesame Street and Spy Kids games and using Mad Cat's third-party controllers on PS2. So it's, it's not fun in jail, but that's, that's what you're subjected to when you're in the U.S. prison system. Now, I really love this little anecdote about your kids getting into gaming because... As as a massive fan of the Nintendo Wii and of Sonic the Hedgehog, this this really speaks to me in a lot of funny ways because I know one most gamers hate Wii they 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 think they look down on it, um, and two Sonic has become such a joke of a franchise, especially goofy knockoff games like Sonic and the Secret Rings. So this is really funny for me because I actually really like Sonic and the Secret Rings. I think that game has a kick-ass soundtrack first and foremost. It has really good visuals for a Wii game. And while, yes, you're right, the game controls like absolute ass. It's an on-rails game where you have to use the Wiimote sideways and you can't use the nunchuck to control Sonic. It fucking sucks. It's still somehow cool enough that me as a Sonic fan was like, I will endure these ass controllers to play this game and see it through to its fullest because I fucking love Sonic. And it's 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 another one of those Sonic games It's like, technically this game is awful. Like, technically this game is like a 3 out of 10 and I don't blame anyone for hating it. But I really like it and it's like more of like a 7 out of 10 for me and I'm going to enjoy it anyway. But I must say, the party games on Sonic and the Secret Rings, the multiplayer mode that was all party games, those multiplayer games really, really suck. So... I, there's something really like I, I don't know like really sweet and innocent about hearing like your kids at a younger age getting into uh, video games or Sonic and the Secret Rings with those mini games because I, I think we all have examples of that from our youth playing games where it's just like we were playing these games because it's what we had available to us and we didn't know any better but these games were technically awful and I feel like this is a perfect example of that it's like the older your kids get the more they'll look back and be like remember when we used to play those mini games on Sonic and the Secret Rings yeah those mini games were actually god awful but we just played the hell out of them because we were kids and we didn't know any better and it it just reminds me especially when you look back on a lot of those like PS1 PS2 era games where it's like the game is broken and the game is poorly made and kind of shitty and awful to control but you as a kid just kind of blame yourself as a gamer for not being good enough to play the game right and you just like kind of force yourself through and you're like oh this is a good game I just need to get better at it and I, I just the endless amount of like patience that kids have for games and amount of like just kind of like, I don't know, seeing the good through all the bad is is really kind of, it's kind of cute, but it's also kind of sad because then, then you grow up and you realize how much you can judge everything. And before you know it, you go from judging games like Sonic and the Secret Rings for actually being bad to uh, judging movies like Star Wars, The Last Jedi for being good because you like bad movies. So anyway, it's what happens, but thank you for writing in. I thought that was a fun comment. Now, Let's just uh, run through a couple little quick ones before we get into the regular show, because as I did mention, it is a it is a big news week. But uh, I, I have a request, actually. This is a request from me. Sarugi, could you please ban the following uh, commenter, Mr. Parksy1972, who says, At Lethal Migraine, I agree with you about Sunset Overdrive. Very overrated. Played it for about an hour or so, then deleted so, Sarugi, please, I am requesting a ban submission. I'm submitting a ban request form uh, for Park C1972. Please do ban this person effective immediately uh, for their heresy. And if you can, uh, call the call the gamer call the gamer police. Have them thrown into jail along with Lethal Migraine, uh, subject to play Spy Kids on the Game Boy Advance with a Mad Cat's PlayStation 2 controller. Please and thank you. Now. Squall Flips Mad Max has two comments here. The first one just says, in bold letters, I might add, hit me. 
So, I don't know. I thought that was a little provocative, maybe a little sexual even. I like that comment, Squall. So, thank you for writing in with that. Now, your second comment here, a little more direct. Or, <laughs> actually, that last one's pretty direct. Maybe a little more, a, a little, a little less a little less kinky, I might say, says, I got a new monitor coming and supports 240 hertz. And well, I have a new rig built. Got my hands on a 3060 Ti, you fucking nerd. And I have a 4K monitor that only allows 60 FPS. I like how it looks in 4K. I like how the 4K looks, but I want to get higher frames. My new monitor should... My new monitor should body the Series X and hit its 120 frames potential. Good times. So, Squall, I gotta say, as someone taking an entry-level IT uh, course online, I hate to admit that I know what you're talking about now, but that aside, uh, uh, I'm, I'm happy for you. So, yeah, I mean, this is this is one of the big frustrations of the Series X, right? Is finding the correct monitor or TV so that you can have both the 4K and the 120 FPS or, or the 120 frames uh, because I know I myself leading up to the Series X, I bought a 4K TV, really nice 4K TV, TV that I like a lot, but it only supports, like I can, with my Series X, I can do 120 FPS at like 1440p or 1080 or 1080p depending on the game, or I can do 4K 60, but I can't do 4K 120. that. That, that irks me a little bit. So for all of you out there in the market for the Series X or a new TV or a new monitor, make sure you do extensive research if you really want to get the most uh, value of the Xboxes, uh, the new Xboxes feature set because definitely want to make sure you get something that supports the 4K and the 120 FPS. Looks like Squall Flips Mad Max here is familiar with that and is, I don't think he's so much warning us as he is bragging, but... Then again, he does say, hit me, so. And then our final comment comes all the way from Xbox Prison. It is none other than Lethal Migraine, who says, something kind of positive for once. If Forza Horizon is indeed set in Mexico, I hope we get a nice tour of the Aztec and Mayan temples. Lethal Migraine, I agree. That would be beautiful. I think that would be, those could be some of the coolest settings to drive around in, in an open-world Forza game. So, I, I too, am... Kind of hopeful that Mexico is the setting of the next Horizon game. For as much as I'd love for it to be Japan, I think Mexico is a pretty cool potential setting. But guys, that's going to do it for all of our comments on this 100th episode of Xbox On. And remember for next week, if you didn't comment this week, you're regretting it. You're kicking yourself right now saying, oh, I wish Jesse would read about hitting me or I wish Jesse would uh, judge my Taco Bell order. I wish Jesse would um, request to have me banned by Sarugi. Guys, stop wishing. Get out there. Get on YouTube and, and leave a comment. Don't be shy. Reply. Now, next, we'll jump into what I've been playing. But before I can tell you what I've been playing, i got to tell you about what I've been eating. Guys, Tonga Toast. i got to tell you a little story about Tonga Toast. Now, I've been going a little nuts lately with the uh, Disney reservations. I've been, I've been like, okay, why did I move to Florida? Well, I moved to Florida because I love Disney. And why do I love Disney? Well, not because of theme parks, because actually food. I love food. I'm a fat ass. So I, I, I love the Disney restaurants, the ones in the theme parks, the ones at the resorts, the ones at Disney Springs, all over the 48 square mile, whatever fucking, whatever it is. I, I love all the restaurants around Disney property, and it is one of my dreams in life to just eat at every restaurant on Walt Disney property, uh, at Walt Disney World, Disneyland, everywhere. I just want to eat at all the restaurants. And so I've been going a little nuts lately with the whole just constantly on the Disney app, like looking at reservations, like, oh, there's a reservation for here, book it. Oh, there's a reservation here, book it. And so like every 
three weeks, two weeks, three weeks. I'm like, boom, another reservation here. Boom, another res- reservation here. And it's, it's been nice. It's so I'm, I'm dragging my girlfriend against her will. Like we got it. We got to eat here. We got to eat here. And this week I thought we, I, I managed to snag a breakfast reservation at one of the harder to get breakfast restaurants on property, which is at Disney's Polynesian village resort, their Polynesian themed resort at the Kona cafe restaurant. I got, I snagged some reservations for their, their breakfast and we, we, we went there and we had the legendary Tonga toast. Now I've had Tonga toast in the past before one other time at Disney or two other times at Disney. Anyway, but this is the first time I've ever had it in the proper context at the Kona Cafe with the special strawberry sauce. You're saying, Jesse, what the fuck is Tonga Toast? Okay, let me stop teasing. So Tonga Toast is basically like is basically like uh, uh, crack French toast. So imagine like you get these big loaves of bread, right? Thick ass bread, kind of like French toast, but like times ten thickness. And then you cut it sideways, so and you open it up, and then you caramelize bananas and you put them in the center. Then you close back up the bread and you and you douse it in like butter and sugar all around. Or no, that's not true. You cook it. You like you uh, like cook it like you would like French toast or something like that. You make it nice and crispy and crunchy or whatever uh, all around the edges. And then you powder it with sugar and butter and all this shit. And you make it a whole like thing out of it. I don't really know how they make it. Whatever. It's like really, really fucking thick French toast. With powder, with a with a sugariness all over it, and in in caramelized bananas on the inside, and then you pour some maple syrup on it if you want. You pour some strawberry preserve on it, some some strawberry sauce on it, whatever it is you're thinking. Serve it with some strawberries. Serve it with some whipped cream. Who fucking cares, right? But it is it is so heavenly. It is so yummy to put in your tummy. The Tonga toast. It is a very famous, very iconic the breakfast item at the Walt Disney World Resort and we went to the Kona Cafe and had some Tonga Toast and it had been a while so I, I must say Tonga Toast is very much on my mind this week I had some I actually didn't even finish it because all this dieting has gotten me actually got getting my portion control slightly underway a bit so you know I went a little hard we got the Kona coffee we got the uh, smoked Gouda uh, smoked Gouda grits so a couple little things here. My girlfriend got some macadamia nut and pineapple banana or pancakes. Very, very fun Hawaiian, Polynesian, tropical kind of menu here. Very fun menu. And uh, was a little full off of it. So we took it home, took some extra home. And then later on that night, I had some Tonga Toast for dinner. And so the whole point of this is just to say, if you're not familiar with Tonga Toast, just do yourself a quick Bing search and look it up. I, I promise you the pictures alone will make you go, ooh. I would like to eat some Tonga toast, and that is reason uh, 469 why you should book a vacation to the Walt Disney World Resort. Remember, when you book your Disney hotel vacation package, be sure to use the promotion code XBOXON uh, or the other promotion code SBG for Second Best Gaming. You will get uh, you will get 5% off your hotel booking, and I will get a small commission kickback, so please do be sure to use that promotional code guys thank you so much for listening to the show let's get back to xbox on all right now what i've been playing so this week again broken record not not gaming too heavy i'm trying to study trying to do some other stuff but i would be remiss if i didn't give uh, second extinction a try now second extinction came out in early access late last week and i've been pretty excited about this game this is from apex whatever it's one of the divisions of avalanche uh Avalanche, the team that made Mad Max and Just Cause. Um, this is one of their newer split-off teams. And it's kind of like 
Now, I was all wrong about this game. I kept describing it as, like, Left for Dead with dinosaurs. And, man, I wish that's what this fucking game was. But now that I've played it a bit, I gotta say, it's like a cross between, like, Apex Legends meets Evolved meets... Apex Legends meets Evolved meets, like, Far Cry. Like, like the grab guns and shoot shit reminds me a little bit of Left 4 Dead. But it's a little less like Turtle Rock's Left 4 Dead game and a little more like Turtle Rock's Evolved game in that like you just go around you this massive open world map that kind of feels like a Far Cry map and you just hunt massive dinosaurs and they kind of spawn endlessly and there's really difficult dinosaurs to fight. It's really easy to die a lot, but it's kind of more like Evolved in that you know you really got to work cooperatively to defeat your enemy. It's squads of three. Each character is kind of like a specialized class and you can upgrade your items and your gear and your weapons and all of this bullshit. And... The campaign mode and everything in the game is just so loose. It's like you pick a mission and it's kind of open-ended and there's many ways to approach it. And it's kind of an open-world sandbox you got to explore and it's not very linear or it doesn't really funnel you through the game. I-, I wanted this game to be more like Left 4 Dead. I wanted it to be like you have guns and you shoot you shoot dinosaurs, right? Like here's the level. Get from point A to point B, running gun. Like that's what I want this fucking game to be. And, and the reason why I'm so disappointed by it is because it feels so great. Like I say Apex Legends because... The game literally feels and controls just like Apex Legends. But then you play it and you're just like, eh. And like the concept is so promising. It's like this could be like the best Left 4 Dead spiritual successor. But no, it tries to be a little more open-ended. Make your own fun. That kind of thing that so many modern games do. And it does that like kind of, I don't know. I always call it like skimping on game development where it's like, Rather than building carefully crafted linear one-and-done levels, they just build a massive sandbox and then drop a bunch of checkpoints and objectives throughout the sandbox, and you run around and kind of explore and unlock and figure it out. And I feel like that's just such a lazy approach to game development because it's like, let's develop one environment, one asset, and then add objectives and things to do within that environment rather than build a bunch of more focused and carefully crafted settings that are a little more linear and purposeful. I know one's like, you know, it's a lot of work and and, and all that, but like, and this is a smaller game, I get, I get that, but like, fuck, I really, like, I really feel like this game could have been pretty damn great if they had focused on making it more of a linear, purposeful, carefully crafted experience and less of a, just like, it's like every fucking game these days. It's just like, ah, you know, craft and explore and make your own fun and do this and upgrade and unlock and just work together as a squad and communicate and ping and all that shit. I'm like, nothing wrong with that. This is a game that's definitely for someone, but I don't see this game really taking off and being a big hit. And it definitely wasn't what I was looking for. So I am pretty disappointed in the game in that respect, but you know, it's still worth a try. It's only an eight gigabyte download. So it's really not a big commitment to put the game on your hard drive and test it out. I don't know. I I must say it's, it's just not my personal thing, but Nonetheless, it looks beautiful. It's uh, the shooting feels good, so maybe give it a try. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I was, I wanted to be excited for this. You know, last week Nintendo got the new Pokemon Snap, PlayStation got Returnal, and everyone was talking about these two games. I'm like, don't forget, Xbox just got Second Extinction, and then I'm like playing Second Extinction. I'm like, yeah, who am I kidding? Nintendo and Sony definitely got the better end of this deal this week. I'm like, all right, we'll just we'll just move on, cut our losses. We'll wait for Resident Evil, I guess. But uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's dude, it's on Game Pass. It's instant early access. It's free, whatever. Just go and play it if you're even remotely curious about it. I guess give it a try. But it just personally wasn't my thing. Uh, but that's okay. There's a billion other games out there I'm trying to play. So one less game to fixate on. That's probably a good thing in the long run. But that's what I've been playing this week. And with that said, guys. 
let's jump into the new segment here on episode 100. All right, like I said, we have a pretty decent length news week, so let's just jump right into it. Our first story comes from our favorite site to site, Windows Central, who says recently IO Interactive of Hitman fame spoke to GamesIndustry.biz. That's one of our favorite sites about spinning up a third team to support a new IP which some that was something different for the studio, and we may know a little bit more about what it was. A few months ago, a few months ago, Windows Central received information that Microsoft and IO Interactive were in talks for a new fantasy RPG dubbed Project Dragon. While it's too early to share any sort of gameplay details, the final product may look wildly different from the initial pitch. What's on paper thus far sounds incredibly ambitious and represents a completely new direction for IO. Also on IO's website, various job listings are live for multiple positions in IO's Swedish studio. And indeed, we've heard that this Dragon Project is a connected world RPG set in an entirely new universe. One of the job listings PDFs on IO's website specifically refers to the team being, quote, Dragon, adding adding credence to the information we've received that Windows Central has received. IO Interactive recently just released Hitman 3 to widespread praise and is also working on a video game based on the James Bond universe, universe dubbed 007. That was written by our Jez Corden over at the Windows Central. So again, a big, big Xbox source we use quite often. Now, I think that's a... Uh, Pretty interesting one for, you know, the, the thing that gets me the most of this, other than the fact that whatever this is they're hinting at, is incredibly new and just different for IO Interactive. I think the first thing that sticks out to me here is, like, what is happening over at IO Interactive that they're somehow drumming up, you know, all these new games? Does this, first of all, this has got to mean that Hitman's on the back burner, right? Like, there's no way they're making another Hitman game right now, which you think would be, like, their thing because Hitman 3 was pretty successful and that's kind of their bread and butter. That's the thing, the franchise they're known for. It's kind of what they've always done. So even though it sounds like the natural thing for them to do would be make another Hitman game, the fact that they're working on a James Bond game and now potentially this Project Dragon or whatever for Xbox is like, it's just like a a big head scratcher because it's like, oh, okay, well you can't be, they're not that big of a team. So, I mean, obviously they split into different teams and they're hiring right now. That's where this news comes from. But they just they can't be working on three projects, especially if this new James Bond game is going to be anything big and ambitious, which is we know is just what you do with licensed games these days. Everything from Batman to Spider-Man to, you know, Avengers, whatever have you like, that's how we do licensed games now. It's they're big. You know, you get serious studios to do big projects. So that's going to be a big undertaking for a big team and then if they're making another hitman game which i don't know if they have the capacity to right now it's like that's got to be you know a decent sized team maybe they're just going to do some dlc support for three i don't know but then you got this new game for xbox and you know an rpg some kind of fantasy rpg dragon game this sounds like a pretty decent sized game at the very least so you're again you're going to need a pretty large team for this so the first thing that gets me here is how the hell is io doing this and then of course the second thing being some kind of dragon RPG thing. Like, that's obviously way far outside anything we've seen IO do before. You know, obviously 007, you think about a James Bond game for IO, and you're like, why didn't I think of that before? That's such a perfect fit for the Hitman studio, right? It's stealth game. Oh my God, that makes perfect sense. But then you see this, you're just like, what the... F-? This is kind of on par with like, wait, so the guys that make Forza are making Fable? What? Uh, okay. So this is kind of one of those moments. And I can't help but think it's like, you sure you don't want the initiative, your new quadruple A studio to be making like the cool big open world dragon game or whatever, dragon RPG game, and maybe let the Hitman, James Bond stealth guys do the uh, 
perfect dark game. It's just, I, I don't know. I can't help but think how funny that is that Xbox is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are really good at making those Hitman stealth games people like so much. And now they're trusting you with the James Bond IP, which is like the poster child for stealth. So I think we should have you make a dragon RPG game while we let the new studio make a, a stealth game. But obviously, you know, these things aren't all lining up and tied together. And of course, we know Microsoft's approach is a lot more like we let studios come up with, pitch us the ideas and come up with what they want to work on. And then we go from there. So obviously that's not really probably how this has played out, but nonetheless to think, I don't know, there's just a lot to process. It's like, okay, IO interactive working on an Xbox exclusive dragon RPG fantasy game. Uh, but they're the guys that make like modern stealth, like spy games. It's just very, very weird stuff. But nonetheless, obviously this is nothing more than, just rumors and speculation, pretty strong rumors and speculation based on a, some valid sources and two some job hostings. So probably pretty likely to be some real stuff that maybe we'll even hear about at E3. I don't know, but this is an interesting pair for, to see Xbox work with is IO. Um, you know, they're now recently independent. So this does make sense in the, in, in, in the, in the way of, you know, IO is now independent from, from Square Enix, which we saw happen a couple years ago. So obviously they need big publishers and big money behind their projects. So in that sense, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense why they would be working with Microsoft is because they are freshly independent and on the market and available. And Microsoft has big money to spend on publishing kinds of games like this. And I think this is great because as fun as it is to see Microsoft buy all these new teams and grow their first party lineup, it is important that Xbox has second party teams as well. Not everything can be, you know, Bethesda has a very specific work culture and Microsoft's gone after very specific teams that have created very specific projects, lots of Western RPGs and things of that nature. IO brings something very different. It brings a, you know, Eastern European kind of thing we haven't seen as as much you know, to the, to the Xbox fold. And so it, it'd be cool to get their kind of take in the Xbox ecosystem by letting them have a crack at a Xbox exclusive game. But I, again, I can't help but notice it's like, well, dragon RPG, whatever. It's like, well, that just sounds in line with what like half the other Xbox studios are making. It's like, why not let an exile or, <laughs> or Bethesda or um, Obsidian or literally any of those other guys make the Dragon RPG game. It's like, what the what the hell are we doing here? So this is something I'm incredibly curious to learn more about. Obviously, it's all just speculation, things like that for now. Uh, the big get here is that we're seeing Xbox get a second party exclusive, work with other developers. And I think that's important because that's something PlayStation actually does pretty well, which is, you know, to get a flavor outside of the Sony owned third person story driven action M rated games, they get the second party exclusives to give place in that PlayStation, that exclusive content, but, and also diversifying kind of the lineup by not having it all be so in the family kind of, so to speak, Xbox doesn't have that problem as much. Cause I think their studios offer a lot more diversity than what Sony's studios offer. Whether you think the games are better or not, that's up for debate. I just think they have more diversity in terms of genres and settings and gameplay style and things like that. Um, but nonetheless, it is nice to have a very outside company get to have a hand on, an Xbox game. That, that's what was so great about Sunset Overdrive is everything about Sunset Overdrive was so fitting and good for Xbox while at the same time being something that was unlike anything you'd ever really seen on Xbox. So that's why, you know, having Insomniac get to leave their mark on the Xbox ecosystem with a console exclusive was so cool. And I feel like this has similar potential. Now, I don't think anything's going to top Sunset Overdrive, but it's cool to see a very different studio get to have, an, have a whack at a very exclusive, very 
Xbox piece of history, which will be whatever the hell this project ends up being. So that's pretty cool stuff right there. Our second story, continuing on with our Windows Central sighting. Uh, there's a courtroom battle currently raging between Epic Games and Apple, specifically in regards to how Apple's App Store policies are mont are monopolistic and anti-competitive. Epic Games' landmark case against Apple is being watched by the entire gaming industry right now, stemming from a disagreement over how Apple takes a cut from all purchases made through its storefront, specifically with games with uh, Epic Games' Fortnite. Since court battles are much are a matter of public record, a lot of the evidence is being submitted for court cases and have made their way into the public sphere giving a unique insight into the inner workings and discussions between big companies. The Verge recently got a hold on some of the emails of the court cases, specifically referring, uh, specifically in reference to Xbox Live Gold and its free-to-play multiplayer paywall, now in the process of being removed. In the emails, Tim Sweeney, CEO of Epic Games, notes that Xbox lead Phil Spencer, and he talked optimistically and eventually removed the paywall uh, for Xbox Live Gold. Although it seems as though uh, this is in reference to Microsoft dropping the paywall for free to play games such as Fortnite, Epic's Sweeney had hoped uh, to line up Microsoft's removal of the free-to-play paywall with a big Fortnite reveal, which also coincides with the start of, of the big court case with Apple and the subsequent removal of Fortnite on iOS. Now, that's the backstory. The additional piece that makes the news here is that Phil Spencer also noted that they haven't given up on getting Xbox Game Pass Cloud Streaming or xCloud onto consoles, i.e. likely the likelihood of bringing it to Nintendo Switch, etc. There have been rumors of this for a while, the possibility of Nintendo allowing something like Game Pass to appear on its popular handheld console, although the business case might be hard to reconcile for Nintendo, of course, as that would, you know, consider, that would mean they don't make the money. Xbox just gets to put their really awesome service on their platform. It's a big boost for Xbox and it's a big perk for Switch owners, but it doesn't necessarily result in Nintendo getting money. Now, of course, I'm sure that Nintendo, if Nintendo were to allow Game Pass on Nintendo Switch, what that would mean is that Microsoft would cut them a check every month based on, you know, active user activity through Nintendo Switch and stuff like that. They would cut Nintendo a percentage of, of of revenue made from Game Pass or something like that. There's no way. Obviously, Nintendo wouldn't be cut into the deal somehow if they were going to allow this lucrative, sorry, this popular service on their console. It just wouldn't make sense for them otherwise. But here we are getting confirmation that this is something Xbox really does care about and really does think about and talk about because, I mean, the, the, these, are, these are official documents. These are behind-the-scenes things that we're not supposed to know about um, in traditional situations. So this story actually will tie into the next story as well and the story after that. So there, there's a lot coming out from this court case. It's a lot of what's been going on lately in the news. And we'll, we'll kind of touch lightly on this, move on to the next one, touch lightly, and then kind of talk about them all in tandem, I guess. But um, I, this is this is really interesting stuff here to kind of get this behind the scenes. It, it shows kind of what we've always said about, or not always said about Xbox, but have been saying about Xbox for years, recent years now, right? Which is that they are, they're open to playing nice. They're open to doing what it takes to get people to put their games on Xbox, to get people to partner with Xbox, let them put Game Pass here and there, let them do whatever it is they need to do uh, and, and to get their products on Xbox's ecosystem. Because Xbox's whole thing, the whole approach to how to grow Xbox and make it really profitable right now is basically the entire approach that Windows had or that Microsoft has on the whole with, with the PC market, which is Sure, you can make your own shit, but also put your stuff everywhere so everyone has access to it. Listen, 
Microsoft isn't like Apple. They don't go out there and say, we make Windows, the most popular operating system in the world, and you can only use it on our special hardware because we're very, very special. You have to buy a Surface computer if you want to use Windows because it's a very special operating system that we make at Microsoft, and our hardware is very special. Lenovo couldn't begin to understand what it would mean to run Windows operating system on their shitty computers because they're not special like we are at Microsoft. We use baby powder uh, in between our crotches so that we never chafe. You know, that's that's Apple's game, right? Apple is very much like Sony in this regard. It's like, lock it down. We're a closed ecosystem. Fuck everyone else. And that's a lot of what we were learning from this this week's news is that a lot of internal documents talking about how much Sony resented crossplay and was trying to like make money off of it and stop it from happening and all these things because they didn't want crossplay to be a thing, but we're kind of strong-armed into it nonetheless. And you know, that's that's kind of Sony's thing. That's kind of Apple's thing. It's the hard, it's the lock it down, buy our hardware, buy our software, give us money, put your stuff on our game front, our game store, our digital storefronts. We make the money, we control the platform, we control the system, the ecosystem. That's their thing. Microsoft's whole MO, you know, over the years and, and increasingly more and more in the era of Satya Nadella has been like, hey, we'll make hardware, we'll make software, we'll make ser- services and systems, but also everyone's welcome to it. Every OEM, everyone who wants to do it, Lenovo and HP and Dell and all these partners have been making Windows PCs forever and we love it. We make shit tons of money off of it and, you know, we make something cool like the Surface Pro and then we kind of invent the two-in-one market for computers and then before you know it, Samsung and, and Lenovo and all and, and, and ThinkPad and all these guys, they're, they're making their own, you know, they're all making their own variants of this form factor and things like that. And it's, it's this kind of thing of like bouncing ideas off each other. A high, a high tide lifts all boats, that kind of thing. It's like Microsoft's really big on that shit and it's proved incredibly successful for them. That's their bread and butter. And that's where they succeed the most And watching Xbox, watching Microsoft over these past few years, take that sensibility and say, why are we not applying that to Xbox has been really cool to see. And these are internal documents that really further that narrative because we're again, it's like, Xbox used to play a little more of a traditional game, a little more of a Nintendo or an Apple or a Sony game of like, listen, it's called Xbox. You buy Xbox to play Xbox games. Fuck PlayStation, fuck Nintendo, fuck the other guys. Get Xbox Live, get Halo, get Gears of War. Xbox is the only way to play it. Fuck you, big penis. We put uh, baby powder on our butts so we don't get, uh, so we don't, so we don't chafe. And whatever it is they do, right? Because that's, because that's how they used to operate. Well, we've seen Xbox's approach be like, listen, we're not beating Sony by trying to play exactly their game. They keep beating us. They were there in the market first. They established more dominance all over the world before we did. And their brand and everything is just so established that we're having a hard time overcoming them. So again, it's what they're doing with Xbox is what they've always done with windows. It's like, why would you try to fight? Why would you try to fight Apple by playing their exact same game and just losing at it? Why would you not just try to play your own game and be more successful in that route? And that's what they've done with Xbox here. And that's why the constant push for, we need to get game pass on Nintendo switch. Fuck. If we could, obviously Xbox doesn't talk about this internally as much because there's just no fucking chance in hell. Sony would ever let it happen. Sony is so adamantly against this, but if they could get Game Pass on PlayStation, of course they would. They would love that. PlayStation will just never even, you know, it's like the conversation is always, can we get Game Pass on Switch? Because there's always that potential that Nintendo might cave, right? Because Nintendo and Xbox kind of have a, a newfound relationship in recent years, and Nintendo's kind of changed a lot in recent years, and, and maybe they might be open to it, right? But we know Sony. Sony is just like Apple. Sony is like, ha, fuck you. 
You know, Sony is like, we're not going to greenlight this game. We're just going to make our own version of it and do it better. We're not going to let you on our platform because we want to strong arm you. We're not going to let you put your service on here. We're not going to let our competitors do this. That's why it was such a massive story that MLB The Show ended up like MLB The Show ending up on Xbox to me is a bigger deal than like fucking, I don't know, like Tomodachi Life or some some Nintendo game like fucking Kirby ending up on Xbox because at some point it's just like Sony is so incredibly Apple about their whole, whole ecosystem about it's our way or the highway that it, it was amazing seeing kind of some logistic, some legal and logistical loophole uh, allow for Microsoft to get MLB the show on Xbox. And, and what we're seeing more and more is Xbox really likes this stuff. They like, they like changing it up. They like blurring the lines and being like, yeah, we have hardware, buy our hardware if you want. But at the end of the day, we're going to make our money because you're going to buy our games. You're going to subscribe to our services. You're going to buy our accessories. And that's where the money comes from. It's not the consoles. And we'll get into that because it's one of the next news stories. But in fact, let's let's just jump in because all these news stories are kind of all related. All right. So next up, continuing on with the court case, IGN reports the Xbox vice president, Lori Wright, has been called to testify on Apple vs. Epic's uh, court case as a third party witness to give insight into the gaming market as a console partner. Her testimony has has shed light on some of Xbox's internal workings, including Xbox the fact that Xbox has never made a profit off of hardware through any of the Xbox iterations. During an examination, Epic's lawyer, uh, Wes Earnhardt, began a line of questioning on the profitability of console hardware. Earnhardt asked Wright, quote, How much margin does Microsoft earn on the sale of Xbox consoles? To which Wright responds, We don't. We sell consoles at a loss. Just to be clear, does Microsoft even earn profits on sale of Xbox consoles? Wright follows up. Wright responds with no. Wright explains that Microsoft keeps selling consoles at a loss because it's a business model that is set up to deliver a, quote, end-to-end gaming experience, and that hardware is, quote, critical to us delivering the gaming experiences. These experiences include services like Xbox Live Gold, Xbox Game Pass, etc. As noted by protocol, Epic's question regarding hardware profitability were in order to show that video game console markets have a justification for their 30% revenue shares that they earn as a primary revenue source for them. Smartphone makers like Apple don't have a strong reasoning for the revenue share models. Video game hardware has always typically been sold at a loss, say for a couple of instances like Nintendo with the Switch and many other iterations of their hardware, etc., whatever. So let me touch up on that a little bit for context. What they're talking about here, what what Epic's big complaint here is that, you know, every time they sell a loot box, some some Fortnite coins, whatever it is they sell in Fortnite. If you are on an iPhone or an iPad or whatever and you buy Fortnite bucks or or Epic Epic Euros or whatever the fuck it is they sell in the game, Apple gets to take a 30% cut of that purchase, right? You buy 10 bucks of currency on Fortnite, Apple gets $3, Epic gets 7, right? And and that's kind of how the video game market works as well generally. It's like you know, a new game comes out, you buy it, Sony gets 30% of it. You buy it, Microsoft gets on Xbox, Microsoft gets 30% of it. That's kind of how this works. That's how Microsoft makes their money. That's how Sony makes their money. That's how gaming makes money. And so what the whole line of questioning here was is that Epic was trying to make the case that it doesn't make sense for Apple to need to do this because the reason why Xbox takes a cut and why Sony takes a cut is because they don't make money selling Xboxes. That's not the way it works on iPhone. Uh, you know, Apple famously makes shit tons of money off iPhone. iPhone is like an overwhelming majority of the revenue, or not overwhelming majority. iPhone is a substantial 
portion of Apple's revenue because Apple, you know, listen, I like Apple. I'm not trying to shit on Apple, but this is a known fact. I mean, Microsoft even does it with Surface, so it's not like it's not like I don't support this in some way or another. But Apple is, of course, known to be the biggest, the biggest, the biggest offender in doing this is that they they work so heavily on their brand and building up their brand recognition that they can charge an arm and a leg for their products. So an iPhone that you buy for $1,200, you buy an iPhone shitbox max, 12X, 97, whatever, a $1,200 phone, whatever, maybe costs Apple like $400 to manufacture. They make massive fucking profit on iPhone. And what Epic's trying to say here is the business models are not one-to-one. It's not fair for Apple to get to take a cut of every transaction made on their Apple App Store because they're making hand over fist money selling you the piece of hardware. iPhones are incredibly affordable for them to, to manufacture relative to what they sell them for. Whereas in the video game space, it's different. The reason why Sony takes a cut of every sale made on PSN or why Xbox takes a cut of every game sold on Xbox Live, right? Or on the Xbox Marketplace is because you buy an Xbox Series X for 500 bucks and you might go, wow, it's a lot of money. Yeah, Xbox agrees. And guess what? They eat some of the fucking costs because they don't even make a profit off that. You buy a PS5 and you go, wow, that was a lot of money for a console. Well, guess what? Sony agrees with you. In fact, they took a loss to sell you that PS5 in the hopes that you'll subscribe to PSN. You'll buy Returnal for 70 bucks. You'll buy Ratchet & Clank for 70 bucks. Xbox wants you to buy a PS or Xbox Series X for 500 bucks. And then they'll make money because you'll buy a second controller. You'll buy a third controller. You'll subscribe to Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. You'll buy that uh, Halo 5 when it's on sale for $17 for Game Pass subscribers. Um, maybe when there's a flash sale, you'll download the Batman Arkham Trilogy, the uh, the um, Bioshock Collection. You'll go, oh, I'll go through and replay all these games. You never will. And then you'll be like, oh man, uh, I-, I always meant to go play Dishonored. Uh, the Definitive Edition's only seven bucks. I guess I'll download that, right? And then you don't play that either. But guess what? That's how Xbox makes money because of those purchases. And this kind of plays into the thing we're always talking about with Game Pass is it's like, again, these are you have to consider the ways these things are profitable. Xbox isn't making money selling you Xboxes, and they're not making money selling or on you subscribing to Game Pass at this point in time, at least. They're making money off selling you Xbox headsets and controllers and subscribing to Xbox Live Gold. And that's why they were so hesitant to get rid of gold, is because that's one of the very few ways in which Xbox makes fucking money. And I'm not that's not to say, oh, poor Xbox, they don't make any money. It's a failing brand. It's like, no, man, they make pretty healthy money from all the people buying all the video games and all the microtransactions and shit for their Xbox. Like the, the services and the software are where the money comes from. And so that's that's the point of this article. But the interesting thing here to say is, and this is something I guess we've kind of always speculated about Xbox, but they're saying Xbox makes no money whatsoever on console sales. Now, I, I'm really curious to see specifically, that I don't find that hard to believe with the original Xbox or with the Xbox One, but I am very curious to see if the Xbox 360 as a console would have been profitable had the Red Ring of Death thing never happened. Because as you'll remember in the earlier years of the 360, the the whole Xbox 360 Red Ring of Death thing cost Xbox so many millions of dollars to recall units, to re-engineer things about the 360 and to fix that issue. And just obviously the optical and, and it hit and everything that the brand took from that. Um, that was such an expensive loss for them in the 360 era that it almost makes you wonder, had the Red Rings of Death never happened, do you think that maybe Xbox 360 may have been a profitable console by the time they got to like the second or third iteration, like the slim models and things like that? Because generally, for those who don't know, that's kind of how consoles work is it's like version one comes out, right? Like the Xbox One or the Xbox Series X. 
it sold at a loss. It's very, very expensive. It's more modern technology. It's very hard to manufacture at a profit. It just doesn't happen. And that's why you get a slim model. That's why every console has a slim model after three or four years on the market. That's why you get the Xbox One S. That's why you got the PS4 Slim. That's why you get the Nintendo Switch Lite is because a couple years go by, the cost of the hardware, all the components that make make up the console become easier, smaller, more compact, more doable. And it's like, you know what we could do? You know, since the Xbox Series X is still the same hardware components, you know, today that it was three years ago, we can just make a smaller, thinner, cheaper version of it and sell it for a little bit less money and make a profit off of it. And that's kind of the whole point of slim consoles. So it almost makes me wonder if 360 maybe would have been profitable if they didn't have to spend so many millions of millions of dollars in the earlier years of 360 trying to make up for all the losses and, and failures of the Red Ring of Death fiasco. So that's a little anecdote I just want to throw out there because 360 was a pretty damn, you know, successful generation of video games for Xbox. It's still arguably their most successful, their only truly, truly successful era of video games. Um, although I think Series X has a lot of potential to be another pretty successful time period for them. But anyway, I just want to throw that out there. If Nintendo's kind of famously always made money off their consoles, like even the Switch makes money. That's always been a big thing for Nintendo. They're a smaller company. It's always been very important to them that everything they sell be a thing that they can profit off of because they're not Microsoft. Nintendo can't be like, yeah, we'll sell the consoles at a loss. We'll sell the fucking uh, hardware at a loss. We'll sell everything at a loss and then we'll make it up uh, from selling many, many millions of copies of Windows to uh, businesses all around Japan. Like that's not how Nintendo operates. So Nintendo's always been famously like, we need to profit off of it. Probably has a lot to do with why Nintendo consoles are always underpowered compared to the other competitors because they have to use kind of more dated technology in order to keep costs down so you know that's that's an interesting thing to consider and then playstation's always been a little more hit or miss we know that there have been some playstation consoles that have been a little more profitable a little profitable there have been some playstation hardware that have been a little more like break even or just sold at a little bit of a loss but to learn that Xbox has always been unprofitable, everything from OG Xbox to 360 to Xbox One to Xbox Series X and all the slim models and refreshed models in between, to know that it's just never been profitable is pretty crazy. And then you take that in comparison with the story we just read above about things like getting rid of Xbox Live Gold and trying to get and trying to get Game Pass on other services. It's like that's why, guys. It's because Xbox isn't about selling Xboxes. And this is why Lethal Migraine's always saying console sales don't matter, even though they kind of do in different ways. Because it's like the more the more Xbox Xbox wants to sell a lot of consoles. They want to sell as many consoles as possible, but they don't want to sell as many consoles as possible if you're not going to buy games for it and buy accessories for it and subscribe to services with it. You know, if everyone in the world buys an Xbox Series X, but no one ever buys a game for it or subscribes to Game Pass or Xbox Live Gold or buys a second controller. Xbox is fucked. That's going to hurt really bad. But if everyone buys an Xbox and then they buy a bunch of games and they all have Game Pass subscriptions and they'll get an extra controller and they'll get a little headset here and there and they and they participate in a couple flash sales here and there and they do some microtransactions in this game or that game, Xbox is going to be a pretty healthy brand. And so I, I think it's interesting to see all the information we're gleaning from this lawsuit between Apple and Epic Games and how it's, it's teaching us about Xbox. And then the last part of this story... I kind of wrap it up because we've been sending so, so much of the news is based on this, this these court hearings. But the last one here, and the one I find kind of the most interesting of the three, is this January 21, 2021 document filed by uh, Xbox, um, which details upcoming changes to Microsoft's store revenue sharing. 
uh, share, including adjustments to Windows 10 PCs and Xbox consoles. So, so this court document, these documents pulled in court, um, state that all games will move. All games will move to an 8812 in in CY21, meaning denoting that 88% of revenue will be split between the head. Head, headed to publishers where Microsoft would take only 12% of final sales. That would be a hefty reduction considering currently on Xbox, you know, Microsoft takes the standard 30% cut, leaving it remaining 70% profit for or revenue for the publisher. And that would be for consoles. So this is also a stark contrast to what PlayStation and Nintendo do because they participate in the 70-30 cut. So again, just to add some context to this, or actually let me finish up with this. Microsoft recently actually announced that they were going through with this revenue split on PC to, to compete more with like Epic game store and steam. Now, when you buy games from when you buy games from like the Microsoft store on PC, developers and publishers will get an 88% cut and Microsoft will only keep 12%. And you know, the whole idea being, yes, we'll take later less money up front, but it'll incentivize more publishers and developers to put their games out on our ecosystem because even if they sell fewer copies or whatever, there's still more profit for them to make. So that's the whole incentive there. Um, and now the whole talk is, okay, is would they potentially bring that to console? And according to these documents, they'd consider it. It's, this is something they've talked about. And, and Microsoft did speak to this after this news came out and said that they have no current plans to change the revenue uh, share for consoles at this time. Of course, it's a pretty like PR thing that you would say. Um, but the PC revenue share doesn't even go into effect till August 1st. So there's no telling you know, what they're thinking, what they're saying about this and, and how, you know, once things get into place on PC, how that might affect console. So, so again, let me, let me just to put this in layman's terms. So you buy a game on Xbox, you download it from the storefront, right? 70% of that money goes to Activision or EA or whoever published the game, right? And then they do with what they will with that. That's their money. The other 30% goes to Microsoft because you're paying Microsoft to have bought that person's game on their service, right? And that's kind of the way it's always gone. Well, now what they're doing is on PC, they're, they're cutting that. They're saying, okay, we'll only take 12% of the profits and Activision, EA, Ubisoft, whatever, they can keep 88%. So they can get way more money. And this will incentivize more people to put their games on our platform. So we can be more competitive with Steam and Epic Game Store and all those kinds of things, EA Origin, whatever the other storefronts are on PC. But if they brought that over to game, uh, console gaming, they would be the only one doing that because in the console space, Nintendo's doing 70-30. PlayStation's doing 70-30. There's no precedent or reason why Microsoft should do 88-12 in the console space because you're just, you're just being extremely considerate and kind to the publishers and developers that put their games on your platform without really giving yourself a big competitive edge to Nintendo and PlayStation because at the end of the day, here's, here's the deal. PlayStation has the biggest install base in the console market. Nintendo is the second biggest install base in the console market. Xbox has the smallest install base in the console market. The whole idea of this is, well, maybe, you know, someone who makes a game and thinks, oh, well, we'll just put our game on PlayStation and then maybe put it on Switch. And we don't really need to put it on Xbox because it's a smaller install base. The amount of cost to develop a port for the game for Xbox versus the amount of money we could potentially make by putting the game on Xbox maybe doesn't really make money sense for us. So we might not do that. But if Microsoft's like, hey, we'll only take 12% of the cut, if you put the game on Xbox, like, eh, fuck it. We'll make a lot more, you know, there are fewer people on Xbox to sell to, but we'll make a lot more money per copy sold. So maybe it's worth it. That's the whole idea, right? But the thing I don't get is I don't feel like, and increasingly more these days, I don't feel like there are enough examples of of games where it's like, oh man, too bad Xbox doesn't get that. The only one that comes to mind really is like Persona. I'm always saying like, 
put Persona 5 on Xbox, you fucking idiots. Like, come on. Sega and Xbox have a great relationship. Do it already. But, like, other than that, there aren't too, too many games where I can think about this stuff. And maybe the idea here is to deter the the Activisions and the Capcoms and stuff from in the in the Square Enixes from doing these more like second party or time exclusive launches and things like that with Sony because it's like, well yeah, Sony will pay you a handsome sum of money to do a timed exclusive or exclusive content or just an all-out exclusive game on their console. But if you do a multi-platform launch, you can make a lot more money from both consoles, especially from Xbox, because you make more money per unit sold. So that might be the thinking there, but I just I can't imagine the math works itself out that like the kind of sacrifice through all the money they're willing to leave on the table from every indie game sold, every game that was going to be multi-platform regardless sold. The fact that they're going to take like 17, 18% less profit on every copy of every game sold just so they can incentivize publishers and developers to put the more obscure games or the, or the seldom seen omitted third party game from the Xbox ecosystem. I feel like that is, kind of a risky move and of course you know again we're talking about microsoft they can afford to do it whatever just because you can afford to do it doesn't mean you should and i think there is this kind of hesitancy here where it's like okay it would be a good guy move it would be publishers would love us developers would love us it would help our relationship with these other guys it, it may start a little bit of a race to the bottom in a sense because it would put pressure on nintendo and sony to to do the same although i don't think either of them would um but again it's like what does microsoft really stand to gain and i don't know that the occasional game like oh maybe they would get something like persona 5 now since it makes more economic sense for atlas and sega to put that game on xbox i don't know that those rare examples really outweigh all the money on the table they'd be leaving by taking 12% from everything versus 30% from everything so this one makes no sense to me the only other thing i can think of is you know, Xbox is all about that parody now. Place like console space and Xbox are both equally Xbox. It's all Xbox as far as Xbox is concerned and Microsoft is concerned. So to have that parody to be like, listen, I, I don't care if you buy Halo Infinite on your Windows 10 PC or your Xbox Series X. Either way, uh, it's this and that. Halo is a terrible example because that's Microsoft's game. So they get 100% no matter what. But let's say, for example, a game like Resident Evil, which is about to come out, Resident Evil Village. It's like, I don't care if you sell it on the Windows 10 store or the Xbox Series X. Either way, we're only going to take 12%. You keep 88%. That's a really great move, and that makes people like Capcom very, very happy with Xbox. But at the same time, it's like, and maybe that's Xbox's whole MO, right? Is like, let's let's have that parody to have a great relationship with our partners and to keep things simple and to be the good guy all around. But at the same time, it's like, you have to compete in the PC space because Epic and Steam are competing. You don't have to compete like that in the console space because Nintendo and Sony are not going to drop below 30% just because you do. They don't have to because they have bigger install bases. They don't, and the games are going to go there no matter what because that's where the people are. And they don't have to because, frankly, they're just they're just more liked and bigger than you. The consoles like Nintendo Switch and PlayStation 4 and 5 have way bigger audiences in like the Asian markets and things like that where brands like xbox really excel in like north america and europe and that's about it so again it's like there's just less incentive for them to get competitive with you so you don't have to get competitive essentially you're just leaving money on the table for no reason at all and that's just my two cents on it but of course you know i'm tiny brained and there's a lot more complexity to all this all these things interlock with each other the idea of like well who cares if we can you know um count skyla talks about give it 10 years and see you know, the hundreds of millions, you know, the the hundreds of millions of people, you know, once they get to 100 million Game Pass subscribers, 
you know, who gives a shit? They're just they're just swimming in endless cash at that point. So who cares about taking a 12% cut versus a 30% cut? They're making so much money from Game Pass. And so maybe maybe the MO for Microsoft is it's more important for us to get Game Pass on Switch than it is for us to take 30% versus 12%. I, I don't know. You know, like these are the kinds of long-term things Microsoft is thinking of. And me as a fan here, me as a layman, I'm just trying to think short-term because... Why would you leave all that money on the table when you don't have to? When Nintendo isn't giving you a reason to do it. Sony isn't giving you a reason to do it. Just because Steam and Epic are doing it in the PC space doesn't mean you need to bring that conversation and bring that change to the console space. Listen, it's a good guy thing to do. It's another good guy Microsoft thing. Capcom is going to love you. Ubisoft's going to love you. EA's going to love you. EA's really going to love you because you're going to give them more money. But again... You don't have to do it. It's not going to really affect your bottom line. How many games is Xbox going to get as a result of making it more lucrative for these publishers um, that they wouldn't have already got if they just stayed where they were at? And remember, Xbox is a growing brand again. Again, I think Series X and S are going to pull more people back to Xbox than Xbox One certainly did. So they're already in a growth position. I don't think they need to make drastic decisions like this to continue to to make that growth happen. But we'll leave it there just because this is so much what if and things that were talked about and the left on the cutting room floor. And we don't really know how it all goes from here. So we'll leave it at that. And I got two wrap up stories before we get into our uh, quick one off stories or whatever. This is not much to say about this one, but I just want to put it out there. It's technically a PlayStation story, but according to IGN looks like Sony's registered the trademark for the previously Xbox exclusive shooter sunset overdrive. We talked about this earlier. It teased you a bit. Spotted by Nibble on Twitter. Really, uh, a really good Twitter guy I follow. Really interesting person to follow if you like video games. The trademark was registered at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office in late April. Very recently. It doesn't confirm anything, but it's interesting that given Sunset Overdrive was initially exclusive to Xbox One when it released in 2014, the game came to PC in 2018 before Sony acquired Insomniac as a first-party PlayStation studio in 2019. So consider that timeline. And of course, this means that Sony can now lay claim to the game that they are clearly interested in uh, maintaining uh, because they're cle- sorry because they're clearly interested in maintaining the patent. But whether they intend to actually do anything with the property is anyone's guess. Interestingly enough, Sunset Overdrive dr- director Drew Murray recently rejoined Insomniac after a stint at Microsoft's Quadruple A. Perfect Dark Studio, The Initiative, which we've talked about extensively. There's really not too much to say here because it's pretty cut and dry. As a quick refresher, back when Sunset Overdrive was being pitched and developed, Insomniac's whole thing, this was during a weird time in Insomniac's history where they were trying to break out from Sony a little bit. You might remember they made that game Fuse that was published by EA that was kind of like completely butchered by EA from all the focus testing and marketing that they did with that game. But the whole thing during that era was, it's kind of after Resistance 3... Uh, um, Insomniac was looking to do some smaller indie projects, get into VR a little bit, and they wanted to branch out and get their games on other platforms. So Insomniac famously was always very closely associated with PlayStation. Spyro, Ratchet & Clank, these were all PlayStation games. They always worked with PlayStation. But they were trying to see like, hey, we want to own our own IP and get on more platforms and just get our games out there to more people. And so during this time of like the, you know, maybe like 2010 and, to 2014 era or whatever. That was kind of their thing. They, they worked with EA a little bit. They worked with some smaller studios. They worked with GameStop's little publishing arm for a little bit. They did that Call of the Sea, not Call of the Sea, it's the, that whatever that game was called. I forget the name of it. Um, but yeah, Sunset Overdrive was born from that era. So the whole thing here is, famously, Sony's thing is, 
if you make a game for us, if you make, if we fund a game or give you partial funding or make an exclusive game for our platform, Sony gets to own the IP. Fun fact, um, Bloodborne, popular Souls game, Sony owns that IP. Uh, so it's the only Souls game of the Dark Souls, Sekiro franchise subset um, that cannot come to other platforms because PlayStation owns that. Actually, PlayStation has Demon Souls. Demon Souls is another one of those. It was a PlayStation 3 exclusive and Sony owns the IP even though even though From Software made the game. So that's just a little example for you. So Insomniac's thing was they wanted to own their IP. They didn't want Sony to have full control over it. So they're like, they pitched Sunset Overdrive or something similar to it. And Sony was like, looks great. We'll green light it. We own it. And Insomniac's like, no, we don't want that. So they left and they went to other studios and they marketed around. And as the story goes, um, Xbox basically poached them and said like, hey, we will green light whatever you fucking make and you can keep the IP. We just want an exclusive Insomniac game on Xbox. Like, you know, why wouldn't you? If you can get this studio that's famously associated with PlayStation, why would you not try to, po- you know, you know, you, you don't think PlayStation would like poach the coalition for like a Gears of War type game if they could? Of course they would. It's like, why would you not want the other guy's big exclusive studio to make you a game exclusively for your console? So that's how Sunset Overdrive was born is basically Microsoft said, listen, we want an Xbox exclusive Insomniac game. You can keep the IP. You can have full creative control. You can do whatever you want. Just give us an Insomniac game. And what we got was Sunset Overdrive, which is the perfect blend of Spider-Man and Ratchet and Clank. It's one of my favorite games. It's such an incredibly fun game. It's such a, such a good game. Um, but but that, that's how Sunset Overdrive came to be. Now, now that PlayStation owns Insomniac, because Insomniac owned the IP and not Microsoft, Sunset Overdrive now technically belongs to Sony. So the only weird thing here is that Xbox Game Studios technically published, when it was still Microsoft Game Studios, technically published Sunset Overdrive for Xbox One. So there might be some weird kind of like murky legal waters about the publishing rights to the original Sunset Overdrive, but not so much the development rights or the ownership of the IP in general, which probably just means... If Sony decides to make a, you know, a Sunset Overdrive refueled and rehydrated edition, 60 FPS, 4K, whatever version for PS5, they can probably publish that. They just can't publish the original Sunset Overdrive as it was. So that's probably really the only like legality issue that exists here. But as far as it, as far as I'm concerned, Insomniac is now a PlayStation-owned studio, and therefore they have acquired all the IP owned by Insomniac. Insomniac owns Sunset Overdrive, not Xbox. Sunset Overdrive is a PlayStation game if they want it to be. It's pretty much as simple as that. So they're renewing the trademark. I think what happens here is Sony Sony will try to do a remaster or a remake of Sunset Overdrive for PlayStation 5. Um, and then if if it sells well enough, if there's enough interest on it, then they will greenlight a sequel. The thing I find weird here, though, is they... So Drew Murray was this game's director, right? That's that's a good callback that IGN mentions there. But Drew Murray was also a really key um um a really key head on uh the Resistance franchise, which Insomniac has been famously teasing for a very long time now. So between developing Spider-Man 2, which is a given, 
and the Ratchet and Clank game they're working on, it's like, okay, so what's Insomniac working on? Are they working on a new Sunset Overdrive? Are they working on, are they going to take Sunset Overdrive, give it to like a Blue Point or some like port studio and ask them to do a remake of it? And then if it does well, they'll have Insomniac do a Sunset Overdrive too? Or is Drew Murray back at Insomniac so he can work on Resistance again? Or is he back because he's working on Sunset Overdrive? So that's, I guess, more of a topic for a PlayStation podcast, not an Xbox podcast, but it's relevant to us because... We all liked, you know, with the exception of apparently a couple people in the audience, people who are in jail. Um, we all liked Sunset Overdrive. So this is uh, unfortunate, but but also not unfortunate because on, if I'm being honest, you know, it's Xbox's fault we don't have a Sunset Overdrive 2. They t- you know, Phil Spencer has been pretty open about the game didn't sell well. We don't greenlight a sequel because the game didn't sell well. It didn't make money. So listen, I appreciate the honesty, but if PlayStation's the way I got to get a sequel to Sunset Overdrive... Fuck it! I'll buy a PS5 to play Sunset Overdrive 2. Like I'd like in my eyes, it's like would I prefer to play this on Xbox? Of course. But if if it's between play Sunset Overdrive 2 on PS5 or never play Sunset Overdrive 2, I'm I'm going with the PS5. Sorry, but uh, that's what's going on with that story. And then our, our final wrap up story here is from Xbox Wire. Just a list of Game Pass games coming and leaving the service. So in the month of May. On May 4th and 6th, the time you're listening to this podcast, these are all out. You'll see Game Pass is getting uh, Dragon Quest Builders 2 on console and PC, FIFA 21 on console and PC through EA Play, Outlast 2 on console, cloud, and PC, uh, Steep on cloud and console, which I'm kind of interested in that Ubisoft uh, extreme sports game. And then on May 13th, we're getting Final Fantasy 10 and 10-2 HD Remaster on console and PC, Just Cause 4 Reloaded on cloud console and PC, uh, Psychonauts on cloud console and PC. Finally, that game's coming to Game Pass. Uh, Red Dead Online coming to cloud and console, but not Red Dead Redemption 2. That's interesting. Or the game's already on. I don't remember. Whatever. And then Remnant from the Ashes on PC, May 13th. Now, on May 15th, we're losing a handful of games, and they are as follows. Alan Wake, which is weird because it's an exclusive game um, on console and PC. Battlefleet Gothic Armada 2 on PC. Dungeon of the Endless on cloud console and PC. Final Fantasy 15 on console and PC. Hotline Miami on PC. And Plebby Quest The Crusades on PC. And that is going to do it for all of our news, guys. Now, real quick, it's a long, long episode. Let's jump through the important enough news stories. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not quite important enough to warrant their own discussion, of which we have a handful, a decent handful. So getting right into it, IGN reports that the new Fable game being developed by uh, by Forza Horizon developer Playground Games will be developed using the Forza engine, according to a job listing on Microsoft's website. The listing for a software engineer states that the team at Turn 10, developers of Forza Forza Motorsports, will now be working with the Forza Tech engine and will be enriching the toolset to support an open-world action RPG, Fable. So it looks like they got some people even from Turn 10, potentially, so it looks like even some people from Turn 10 are, are lending some help on Fable. Um, this shouldn't come as a surprise. This is very much like on PlayStation when like the guys that make Horizon or the guys that make the guys that make Killzone made Horizon. It's like they jump from a first person Halo knockoff game to like a third person open world Far Cry game. So this is kind of a similar thing where it's like, listen, the guys at, at Turn 10 and 
playground games have worked forever in this Forza engine. They built it. They've added so much to it. It's the engine that makes sense to them. So it kind of makes sense that they would use that technology and that engine to then in turn build Fable. So that's not terribly surprising, but it is really cool to think that the new Fable game is basically being built in a racing game engine. Obviously, they're heavily modifying and changing a lot of things, but I'm really interested to see what this game looks and feels like as a result of being made in this engine. Now, next up, Windows Central reports a couple things from some halo infinite insider updates head of xbox game studios matt booty has officially announced in a blog post on halo infinite that the game will support multiplayer cross play when it launches meaning that xbox pc players will be able to play with each other especially since this this is especially exciting since halo infinite's multiplayer will be free to play and thus be the most accessible halo multiplayer experience yet between multiplayer's accessibility and cross play halo fans will be able to play with their best friends easier than ever before cross progression will also be in place as well which will allow players to keep their unlocks when switching between xbox and pc that's really fucking awesome especially from the get too many games have those awesome features but make you wait six months for them i love that this is there from the get that's that's part of this good year delay we have here i guess and then continuing with that from an inside infinite pc update from 343 um the game also is getting a bunch of PC-centric features and uh, little little perks. They wanted really players to know that Halo Infinite on PC is being just as much considered a main platform as Xbox is. They don't want PC to be considered as a second-class citizen in this case, so they wanted you to know that Halo Infinite on PC will have the following, a native experience for multiplayer input types, including mouse, keyboard, controllers, and even third-party controllers. An ultra-wide support for ultra-wide monitors supporting in the game in all UI cutscenes, animations, and everything else, which is really impressive. Advanced settings for display, refresh rate, field of view, graphics, and much more. Triple keybinds for high customizable controls. And the ability to hide and customize the HUD or show FPS or ping counter in-game. And lastly, full cross-play, as we already mentioned, for PC and console. So tons and tons of support for PC nerds out there on Halo Infinite. That kind of stuff just makes me so excited. That that's Those are the kinds of features that let you know that when this game releases, especially due to this delay, you're going to get a very full and complete package and not a... Not a, here's most of it, um, uh, updates and such will fill in the gaps in, in, in the years to come. So I'm really hoping Halo Infinite launches in a uh, really complete and, and fully fleshed out state. And these kinds of updates make me a little more prompt, make that sound a little more promising. Now, next, Windows Central reports that during Activision Blizzard's Q1 2021 earnings report, we finally received the confirmation that Call of Duty will indeed, of course, be coming out in 2021. But more importantly than that, and more surprising or more notable than that, we know that Call of Duty is returning in 2021 uh, thanks to Charlie Intel. The studio behind the game will be Sledgehammer Games, the helm... They will be helming the, t- the game this year, of course, being most notable for Call of Duty uh, World War II back in 2017 and Call of Duty Advanced Warfare in 2014. They were supposed to do Call of Duty last year, but things changed last minute. Raven and, and Infinity War, Raven and Treyarch took over and made Black Ops Cold War. So now we will see Sledgehammer get their kind of redemption arc here. Hopefully they don't fuck it up. But next up, GamesIndustry.biz announced... Uh, um, relays that the release date of fall guys for xbox has been delayed indefinitely in a blog post mediatonic stated that the previously announced summer 21 release period has been uh pushed back and the team has been unable to hit that date uh next gamesindustry.biz reports that konami will not be part of e3 this year and they're all digital expo the publisher revealed this information last week stating that due to the timing they will not be ready to present at e3 
They want to reassure the fans that they are deep in development on a number of new projects, so please stay tuned for updates coming soon. This is important for that update, especially because Konami's been so detached from gaming lately. We we need to know, you know, are they even still here for games? So according to them, they are, but we're just not going to hear from it anytime soon. Next, after reports... Uh, after reports going around earlier in the week that Activision-owned studio Toys for Bob, the team behind Crash Bandicoot 4, it's about time in this popular but now defunct Skylander franchise, Activision issued the following statement uh, following reports that they had hit mass layoffs, saying the following, quote, Reports of layoffs at Toys for Bob are simply incorrect. There have not been a reduction in personnel recently at the studio. The development team has been operating fully in it and has a number of full-time job openings at this time. The studio is excited to continue to support games like Crash Bandicoot 4, It's About Time, and more recently provided additional development support on Call of Duty Warzone. And that's the bigger story here, apparently, is that they're being kind of pushed onto Warzone, as most Activision-owned studios seem to be doing. They are now another Call of Duty support team. Hopefully, we'll get to see them do more original stuff again in the future, but for now... They're just another victim of the Call of Duty war machine. Next, Windows Central reports that after nearly 12 months of waiting and almost 6 months after Minecraft Dungeons officially added cross-play support, the game is finally getting cross-save support. See? Halo Infinite's getting the shit from the jump. Minecraft Dungeons just getting it now. Not acceptable for Halo, so good on them. GamesIndustry.biz reports that The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt game director Conrad uh, Tomaszewski something, sorry has resigned from CD Projekt Red, Bloomberg has reported. The outlet said the company email sent to CD Projekt staff confirmed that he has resigned after an investigation into alleged allegations of workplace bullying. Not cool. Windows Central then reports that Electronic Arts released a performance detail update on, on the upcoming Mass Effect Legendary Edition that shows all the different modes and performance options. Basically, the game will be split into two ways you can set the visuals into quality or frame rate mode so you can have a higher frame rate lower quality or higher quality lower frame rate and the big thing people are talking about here is how on xbox series x you can go for 4k 4k 120 fps on their perform on their performance mode and the frame rate mode um, but on ps5 you can only do 4k 60 fps or 1080p 120 so that was the big boon here is that oh xbox is so powerful playstation's dumb I'm not going to lie, I kind of like seeing those stories because I'm an ex-bot, of course, but come on, guys, we're, we can be more mature than that, right? But yeah, there's different performance and frame rate modes, so depending on your TV and your console setup, you can get kind of varying degrees of performance and frame rate. Now, Windows Central also reports that Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order will finally, speaking of EA games, will finally be joining the growing roster of excellent next-gen games with free cross-generational upgrades. So Xbox One players will be able to grab Jedi Fallen Order upgrade on their Series X whenever they nab their next-gen console and play the best version of the game free of charge. The announcement didn't include exactly when the update would be out or what the improvements are, but, you know, it's coming. Next, GameIndustry.biz announced reports that Epic Games has announced the acquisition of plat of artist platform ArtStation. Terms of the deal were not disclosed, but Epic said the following, ArtStation will continue to operate as an independent branded platform while collaborating closely with Unreal Engine team. By joining forces, ArtStation and Unreal Engine teams will be able to empower the creative community with expanded tools, resources, and connections. And lastly, Windows Central reports that Microsoft have announced an upcoming partnership with Spotify, offering four-month memberships 
to the music streaming platform through Xbox Game Pass. This is the second time they've offered this deal, and the deal is grant is granted to those who subscribe into Game Pass for the first time. All new members can get the Spotify Premium Plan access. It is the latest complimentary perk for new Game Pass subscribers. So that is going to do it for all of our news here on episode 100 of Xbox On, guys. Uh, we do have our closing little segments, so let's just jump right into them before I wrap up today's episode with a big old sobby thank you for supporting the show but now it's time for our new game releases of the week there are 14 new game releases according to the xbox wire we go in we read the latest game releases we look at their screenshots and their release date and we judge everything about the game based off nothing more than that so on may 4th the colonist hits xbox it is a runescape looking construction game so i wish someone would colonize runescape and Make their graphics better. Dragon Ball Builders, Dragon Dragon Quest Builders 2 comes to Game Pass, Xbox Play Anywhere, console and PC. It's out now. Anime Boys Everywhere. But for some reason, my boy, my boyfriend, but for some reason, my brother arbitrarily likes this, even though he makes fun of me for every anime thing I like. That doesn't make sense to me. Dark Knights with Poe and Monroe. This is one of those adventure games with live action elements. I think you weebs will be very interested in this live action game. Dull Gray comes out May 5th. It is a game in black and white. It looks like it was sketched. It's a pretty cool art story, but it looks like a canyon with nothing going on. The Wardrobe, even better edition, is a game with a skeleton in a bathroom. Why the fuck is that happening? Next is Skate City on May 6th. You could play Tony Hawk or you could play another 2.5D Skate City indie game with skateboarding that doesn't feel good because they didn't get the physics right. Blazing Beaks comes out May 7th. It looks like Bomberman, but not fun, just like Bomberman. Chroma Quaternion uh, is May 7th, optimized for Series X and S, smart delivery, but it's like an 8-bit JRPG-looking game. How the fuck do you optimize these little NES games for a Series X? Why do they keep saying that? It's fucking marketing bullshit. Flowing Lights hits, uh, hits our consoles on May 7th, Xbox One X Enhanced. It's enhanced enough for the old console, but not the new one. It looks like a Marvel game themed to lights and sounds. That's pretty cool. Uh, Infestor comes out May 7th. It looks like, it looks like that uh, Mutants... MUDS 3DS game, but it's optimized for Series X and it's a smart delivery title. Again, how do you optimize these little 8 bit Game Boy games? I don't fucking know. Kursk uh, comes May 7th. It looks like a World War II submarine, really high rendering, but there's not much gameplay here. There's no characters, there's no guns, there's no Nazis. Boring. Non Guns Doppelganger Edition comes out May 7th. Xbox One X Enhanced. Now, this is a game I'm going to go ahead and give a pass to because. The lighting in this game is so dark, I can't even tell what's happening. So, is it a little Game Boy-looking game that doesn't make sense to be Xbox One X enhanced? Yes. But is it so dark uh, on the lighting that I can't even tell what's happening to begin with? Yes. And that's pretty cool. So, Resident Evil Village comes out May 7th. You know what they say. It takes a village to raise a Resident Evil, and this game is no different. Smart deliver this game to an Xbox near you. Um, this game literally looks like it's all about a chandelier because all the screenshots just show a big chandelier. So maybe Resident Evil Village is about the zombie village coming together to install a light fixture in this home. I think that's a very wholesome idea for a horror game. It doesn't sound scary. Maybe just scary cute how, how nice it is. Hood Outlaws and Legends Year 1 Edition May 7th with pre-order bonus. Optimized for Series X and S. Smart delivery. I, I think that title tells you everything you need to know. So 
Who am I to tell you what's about? Now, that's going to do it for all of our games this week. But remember, we got one more little cheesy Easter egg extra for you. Games with gold. It's May, you idiots. So let's talk about it. Armello is available for the entire month of May. Download that. It's a game. It's free. Dungeons 3, available May 16th to June 15th. It's another game you can download for free starting next week. Lego Batman. It's a 360 game. It's available until May 15th. Download that game if you like Lego Batman at the same time as Lego. Tropico 4, it's a $10 game available for free, May 16th to the 31st. It's a 360 game, but fuck off, download it. It's free, guys, free. 4,000 gamer score worth of games, $79.96 worth of video games, all for free. That's the value you're getting with Game Pass Ultimate with Xbox Live Gold. So go ahead, what are you waiting for? Download these games, guys, and while you're at it, that's going to do it for episode 100 of Xbox On. Hard to believe we made it to 100 fucking episodes. Hard to believe for 100 weeks in a row I've done this show. I am tired. But I'm also incredibly grateful. Honestly, guys, all joking aside, I feel comfortable saying this now that we're at the end of the show because, again, statistically, 99% of you don't make it to this point anyway. So if, you, if you're listening right now, that means you're an OG. That means you're a real guy. That means you're a real player. That means I can talk to you confidently and I know you, you deserve to hear this. I know you know what I'm talking about. So all joking aside, guys, it's crazy to me that I've been doing this show for 100 episodes, almost two full years. I really am tired. This show, this show wears the fuck out of me. But, you know, today is a perfect example. Episode 100, it's a big deal. I had a crazy day at work, and the whole day I was thinking, like, I do not feel like being up to 1 a.m. editing and getting the show ready at all today. But it, it this week is on track to be just like every week, you know, if, if I'm lucky and Thursday morning rolls around, I, 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 the show goes live at 9am. I start seeing the comments rolling in and people are clicking on it and listening and I'm seeing the numbers. And then before I know it, Oh, so-and-so left a comment. Oh, so-and-so left a comment. And it's the second you guys start leaving the comments and talking and interacting with the show and responding, whether it's funny or serious, or you're giving me a hard time, whatever it is, I always appreciate it because that's the moment where like, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's why I do Xbox on. And I, and I, I seriously mean that. Like I, I, I'm telling you if Xbox on had like 5,000 listeners, but zero commenters, I would have stopped the show by now, but it has a way smaller listenership than that. And I'm extremely happy with it because we have people writing in, we have people telling us, you know, that today they became a father and you know, that, or that they fell in love with the chicken chalupa Supreme at Taco Bell or that their kids grew up playing Sonic and the secret rings or that they got invited to the X cloud beta and that they were nerdy enough to fuck around with the, uh, the various controller settings to see which controllers had better performance when streaming cloud games, like all these things, it's all these comments come in and it's, you know, I don't know what it means to you guys to leave these comments in, but to me it matters a great deal. It's, it's, it's not Wednesday night when I'm recording for two hours straight and then editing and then staying up and uploading and tagging, getting everything great. Like that all actually kind of sucks sometimes, but it's Thursday morning when the comments start rolling in and you guys start interacting and suddenly goes from like this thing I do in isolation in my bedroom that I I just release out into the void to this thing where it's like, Oh, like these are like my friends. Like these are actual people who uh, have lives and personalities and they interact with me. And we talk about Xbox and we bond over stupid shit like Disney and, 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 and food and crap like that. And it's, it's awesome. This is, this is exactly what I wanted when, when I started Xbox on, this is what exactly what I thought would never happen, but I, you know, hoped might happen, which is that people would find the show and be stupid enough to like it. And we could talk and, 
and form, you know, form a relationship around the things we love, Xbox, of course. And I, I'm, I'm really grateful to anyone who's ever supported the show. And I'm, I'm not saying this for any reason other than it is absolutely the truth. The only reason why we are here today doing episode 100 of Xbox on is because you guys take the time to listen. You guys take the time to write in and don't, and I don't want you to feel like if you listen to the show every week, but you never write in, I don't want you to feel like you matter less to me as a listener. The fact that you support the show in any regard is incredible to me. Every time, you know, I'm not very popular on Twitter. I don't get a whole lot of interaction on social media, on Instagram, or even on YouTube. But every time my phone goes a little chime and I check my phone and it's not just like my bank telling me that my my rent went through or something and now I'm $1,000 poor or something like that. Every time I look at my phone, it's like, oh, Oh man, so-and-so left a comment or this guy liked my post or like they're talking about my show. Like every time I see that, it genuinely is incredibly humbling and heartwarming to me to be like, oh my God, someone's interacting with me and something I did. And it's, it's fucking awesome. And like all you guys are humans to me. Like you have personalities. I'm like, oh, I know, I know this guy. You, you left that comment and you're the one who had that crazy story. And it's awesome to me. And that's why I keep coming back to Xbox on. If I just wanted to play Xbox all day because I'm a big gaming nerd and I had no life. I'd just sit on my couch and play Xbox. But now it feels like I have a sense of community around this thing I love, which is Xbox, because you guys are real people with real personalities and you interact. And uh, this whole this whole little mushy moment would be pretty funny if it turns out that all of you are fake and my girlfriend is just making multiple YouTube accounts to leave comments and make me feel good about myself. But we've already established apparently that that's not the case and that you people are real. Unlike the Easter Bunny, unlike Santa Claus, you guys are real. And I really, really, really appreciate each and every one of you and the support you've given everyone from, you know, the kindest, the kindest commenters who say nothing but nice things uh, to those who are a little more challenging from their jail cells, constantly giving us all a hard time, but nonetheless support the show and express themselves and are, and, and, and add their own sense of personality and flair and fun to the show. I, I literally am so grateful for all of you guys and all your support. So thank you so much to everyone who helped us get to episode 100 of Xbox On. And until next week, power your dreams.
As the sun is setting, the crooked smile that keeps me guessing, the innocence that I've been wanting, belligerence and all my laughing. Set me free.